Let's uh, pray as we come to God's Word. Lord, we just thank you uh, for your Word. God, we thank you that it's our food. It's life for us, Lord. It's, uh, it feeds the spiritual man or woman inside of us, Lord. It is uh, life to us. And Jesus, we just come to eat of that bread this morning. We pray, God, that you would uh, feed our spirits, that you would strengthen us, that you would encourage each one, Lord. Right now, I just pray that your peace would meet us right where we're at, God, that we would sense you at work and moving in our lives and in our church. And I thank you, Lord, that we could spend this time uh, in your word. And so, God, we, we ask your blessing upon it as we look at the story of Gideon. May your spirit speak to each heart and to each mind. In Jesus' name, amen. Right on. So uh, the book of Judges here is just on this continued downward spiral. It's a little bit discouraging in one sense, you might want to say, because this is the worst oppression yet. And it's going to keep getting worse for God's people as you go through the book of Judges. And um, the nation, as they go through this wash, rinse, repeat cycle, they've come into the promised land. They've been there now, probably in the time of Gideon, for about 200 years. And they've entered this cycle of uh, turning from serving the living God, rebelling against him, bowing down and worshiping the idol gods of the peoples around them. And then as they uh, do that, turning from the Lord, the Lord just brings oppression upon them, hands them over to their enemies. And in the midst of all of the trials and sufferings and things that are going on, they call out to the Lord and the Lord will send to deliver each time. Now Gideon's an interesting guy because he comes up finally in this text, uh, in this book of Judges, and he's like, a, he's definitely a flawed man. Like you read Gideon and you're like, seriously, God, that's your hero. That's your man. That's your judge. But it's amazing. He's actually counted in the book of Hebrews in the hall of faith. And I love this about Gideon because Gideon's certainly, we're going to see this without perfection, definitely. He's a flawed man. And in fact, like we've talked about through the book of Judges, each one of these characters, each one of these judges that appears on the scene is going to be increasingly flawed. There's going to be bigger problems with their character and with their actions. I mean, who's worse than Samson? Like, seriously, we love Samson, but we know, and it's just going to continue on. So here is the people of God and They've entered again into this cycle of turning from the Lord. Now, I think, you know, you read the book of Judges and it's kind of easy to go, what is with these people? And to point their finger at them. But the truth is, is we know the same cycles in our lives. Repetitious cycles of sin, of, of turning from the Lord, of dealing with failure. And we look into our own hearts and our own lives. And the truth is, if we look at Israel, we can see the same sorts of things in our own hearts, and our own lives. And so as we consider this and consider how we can have cycles, how that nation could have cycles, how we can wrestle with things in our lives, I think it should lead us to have grace for others. It should lead us to have a deep sense of our own need for the Lord and for his salvation. Because truly, we are unable to save ourselves from our sins. We need a judge, a righteous judge to come and set us free. We need a deliverer. And thank God he sent his son, Jesus. And so let's, uh, yeah, Jesus, man, he set us free from the oppressive power of sin. So let's read what happens here to God's people. Verse 1, it says this. 
The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel because, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the peoples of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So that they laid waste the land as they came and Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. So we read this here, and just like I, I've mentioned, and just like this cycle is, we're going to see throughout the book of Judges, it just the oppression gets worse and worse. The situation gets worse and worse for each successive generation as they turn away from the Lord. And here we read this, that God's people are reduced to hiding in dens. Can you imagine that? When I have to scramble out on Mount Elphinstone and find some old bear's den, some wolf's den, some coyote's hole in the ground. This was the people of God hiding in holes in the ground, carving out caves in the mountain, bringing, uh, building strongholds and, and trying to protect themselves from this group of marauders that was covering the land like locusts. It's a crazy picture here. Between them and their animals, and they would come, these nomadic oppressors, the Midianites and the Amalekites would just come as nomads. You never knew when they were going to appear. You never knew uh, the security and the safety of your crops or your home or the place where you were hiding. And Israel was brought very low. And it tells us here that they cried out to the Lord for help. Because that's what they were reduced to. There was nothing left to do but to be able to cry out to the Lord. And you know, it's funny how we can have so much taken from us before we'll reach that point as human beings to just be left with this thought, oh, I guess all I have left to do is to cry out to the Lord. When, for the people of God, that should always be the first response, to cry out to the Lord. He's, he's our answer. He uh, he wants to hear the prayers and the calls of his children because we know this. God answers prayer. And it's amazing that even when the worst rebellious person calls on the Lord, the Lord hears him, hears her. You know, maybe you're checking in with us this morning and watching, and your life is a life of rebellion. And you wonder, how could God save me? The things that I've done the things that I've participated in, the sin that rules my life. I can't control what's going on here. I've just sold myself to these things. And you say, I'm so rebellious. How could God save me? Well, listen, even when the most rebellious person calls on the Lord, he will save them. He will deliver them. And you need to know this, that God has sent his son Jesus to deliver you, to save you. Now, in the midst of this message, what happens is this, is as, God, as the people of God call on God, as Israel calls on him, he sends a prophet to them. Before he raises up a judge, he sends a prophet, and the prophet 
delivers a message and he explains to Israel, he declares to them the reason why they are experiencing the oppressive hand that they are under. See, before they can appreciate God's rescue, before they can appreciate uh, his deliverance, they need to come to an understanding of why they need to be rescued. Why do they need to be delivered? Why have they been handed over to this oppressor? Let's read on here, verse 7. It says this. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live and you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. This prophet's message is just kind of interesting to consider because he, he, he's telling them this, the depth Of your sin, the idolatry of your lives, the reality is this. You have forfeited the right to have Yahweh's help. You know, it's amazing to think about just what God had done for his people. Bringing them out of the house of slavery. Leading them through the wilderness. Bringing them into the land of promise. I mean, we know the story that God not only led them into the land of promise, but he brought them into houses that they did not build. He gave them gardens they did not plant. He gave them vineyards and orchards that they did not plant and cities that they had not built and walls they had not constructed. He he gave it all to them. And as they turned from him, what did they see have happened? They see the loss of all of these things. Reduced to hiding in caves. Can't barely scrape out a living there's no food and no crops because these nomadic raiders keep coming and stealing everything. There's no livestock. And the prophet says to them, the depth of your sin and the depth of your idolatry, you've essentially forfeited the right to Yahweh's help. And it's interesting to think about this because this is the truth and reality of sin. That sin, your sin is so grave. Your depravity, as you turn to the things of the flesh and the things of this world are so deep and so entrenched in your life that the truth is there is nothing, nothing, nothing that you can do to earn your way back into the good books of the Lord. Our sin so grave, the separation so deep between us and our Creator that it's like a valley that cannot be spanned. It can't, there's no way across it. There's no bridge that can be built across it. And this prophet says, you have, you have forgotten by your neglect and by your ingratitude the saving work of God to bring you into the promised land. You've run to the worship of other gods, which is idolatry. And though you've cried out to the Lord, you haven't changed your ways because the truth is, look it, Without Jesus, we're powerless to change our ways. We truly are slaves to that which we serve. And so the problem, this prophet says, between you 
And the living God in whom you're calling is real. It's real. And it's amazing that as you read this, he doesn't give them an answer. He doesn't give them an explanation. He just says, what's happened between you and your God? It's real. There's no answer. How you've sinned against him, there is no solution for it. And I just want to tell you the truth is, if you don't know Jesus, your sin is so grave, it's so deep. It's so wicked, the evil that you have participated in. The Bible calls it sin against the Lord. It's so grave, there's no solution. There is no solution for you. There's no way for you to earn your way into the good books of the Lord or into his position of favor for him to give you his grace unless he sends a deliverer to save you. Unless he sends a deliverer. These people needed a deliverer and you and I need a deliverer. Now, spoiler alert, God always responds to those who call on him. God always sends a deliverer to save those who will cry out to him. And we know this, our deliverer, our judge, the one who bore the sins of the whole world, the one we call out to to save us in the midst of our depravity and sin is Jesus. And Jesus gave his life on the cross, his blood shed for the forgiveness of sins and to redeem us from our sin and to so that we could be forgiven and receive grace and come into the favor of a Father in heaven against whom we had sinned so gravely. These people needed a deliverer. You and I need a deliverer. And so what we see is this, is that as we read on, we find out this, that God begins this work of deliverance by raising up a judge. And he commissions this man, Gideon, that we're about to read, read with regards to. And the crazy thing is, is we don't get any sense, even as we read this story, that the people of God had repented. That they had turned from that which they had participated in. That they had turned from their sin and idolatry. And even though they had yet to do that, there's an answer for them. God has been at work in the background to, to work in the midst of this impasse between him and his people. Because God in his initiative is going to send a judge to save them. Just like God in his own initiative, he did this. He sent his son to save you. He did it. He did it. He prepared it. He prepared before the foundations of the earth the reality of the cross and Jesus' saving work. Now let's read on here and we find out about this man that God is going to send into this situation. He's not, he's not Jesus. But he's showing us a pattern of the fact that God sends a judge to deliver those who will call out to him. And it's all pointing. This is a flawed man. But he's pointing us to the ultimate, ultimately to the one who will come who will not be flawed, who will save their people from their sins. And so let's read about the call of Gideon. It says this. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And this is just, I don't know, this is just such an awesome scene right there. I mean, we could spend our whole time together just going through these verses because this is the beautiful picture and the things that are happening here are so 
amazing. What we find out is this, that the angel of the Lord comes. Now, in the Old Testament, when we turn to the pages of the Old Testament, there's angels throughout the the books of the Old Testament, but there's a time when there is a reference within Scripture to the angel of the Lord when we're not talking about just any old angel. This, This word angel specifically means the messenger of the Lord. This is what we call in the Bible a Christophany. It's an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. This is the Son of God manifest before a man to communicate to him. And we're going to see that as we read on here because Gideon's going to say, I've seen the Lord, I'm going to die. But we read on here, as we read this, it says this, that as the the angel of the Lord appears and sits underneath the terebinth tree, that that, Gideon is there and he is in the midst of a wine press and he's beating out wheat. I just love this picture because I think it's like one of the funniest in Scripture. Because here he is, he's, he's hiding. And in his hiding, he's doing this. He's down, uh, a wine press is an interesting place. It's like really cool to get to visit a, a wine press. I'm sure you've done that maybe at some point in time. You've been out in the Okanagan and seen how they make wine. Or maybe you've been over to Israel and you've visited these traditional wine presses to see how this happens. But a wine press is always down in a valley. It's just kind of natural. You take the grapes from the hillside, you bring it, it's close to your house, and you press the wine there and functions on gravity and the juice comes out and, you know, ladies are in there trampling the grapes and it's this whole big wonderful thing that happens in that culture and in that society in the days of Gideon. But threshing wheat's a whole different thing. See, threshing wheat didn't happen on the valley floor. Threshing wheat happened up on a high point, a mountaintop and a place that was windy And there, he who was threshing wheat would lay out the wheat on a a rock and he he would thrash it and beat it and then take his pitchfork and toss this wheat up into the air and the wind would catch the chaff and blow it off. And the kernels of wheat would fall to the ground and you'd be able to separate the wheat from the chaff. Now Gideon is in like a really interesting spot here because he's in a wine press threshing the wheat. There's no wind. This is a nightmare. You know, when I was like, when I was like 19, maybe, yeah, 19, maybe 18, I spent some time in Prince George. I was going to a church, made some friends there, and my friend, he had a farm. And so he invited me one day to go haying with him. He said, do you want to go help pull the hay from the field? I said, man, I'd love to do that. I've never worked on a farm ever in my life. So we went into the farm, and we spent the day out in the field, and they made lunch for us, and there was three, four, I don't know, five guys, whatever, going behind this tractor, walking through this big field, picking up bales of hay, chucking them in there. And then, uh, then once we had had lunch and cleared the field, we took all of the hay to the barn. And, uh, and then we started stacking the hay inside the barn. And the dust was unbelievable. Like, it was unbelievable. In fact, I, I took the rule because I was a young guy. I said, I'll climb up on the pile. You guys pass up, and I'll stack the hay up top. And so as I was up there, up on top of that hay pile, probably, probably at least stacked a dozen high. I'm like, I'm easily 20, 25 feet up off the ground, stacking bales of hay. Man, my allergies kicked in. 
And all of a sudden, I started wheezing. And in fact, I just felt my throat start to constrict like this and get tighter and tighter and tighter. And before I knew it, I was on the ground outside of the barn begging for breath. <gasps> Having this allergic reaction to all that hay and all that dust. Now, here's, here's what I imagine. Gideon, no wind, threshing this wheat. He's got, man, he's got chaff in his underwear. He's got chaff in his eyes. He's got chaff in spots where he's never had chaff before. And he's scratching and his eyes are swollen because he can't see in the midst of the dust and he's coughing and he's gasping for breath and he's totally failing in the midst of this task to separate. It's like he tosses it up in the air, it all comes back down. It's just a dusty nightmare. And he looks like an idiot. You have to like call him for this. Like it truly, the amazing thing is, is the Lord appears and says, mighty man of valor. And we can see that Gideon would go, what? What are you talking about, Lord? He's not in any position of victory. He's beating out wheat in a wine press. But the Lord says to him, mighty man of valor. Now, this is amazing. See, because the Lord, when he calls you, when he sets his hand upon you, when he speaks to you, the amazing thing about the Lord is this, is that God always sees his finished work when he looks at your life. I love that because we all have that sense and that feeling that it's like life is a mess. We, this is out of control or this is out of control and we deal with guilt and shame and we're wrestling for forgiveness and wrestling with issues of sin and sometimes there is chaff in the underwear, man. There is like dust in the eyes and the Lord says to you, mighty man of valor, mighty woman of valor, I see the finished work. I've, I've called you. I don't see you just in your problems. I see finished products because I put my hand upon you. And so I love this because here we have this wonderful picture of Jesus coming and calling this man. You know, the Bible tells us that God does not even wait for sinners to repent before he begins his work of salvation. Romans 5 says, 5 verse 8 says this, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so here's this nation, they haven't repented, but God has begun to raise up the man who's going to lead them out. Before you ever repented, before your days, before there were even yet one of them, it was planned before the ages of the world that Christ would come to save you. God raises up his work first. Now it says this in verse 13, and Gideon said to him, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all of this happened to us? And where are the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. It's like, hey, uh, thanks for speaking here, but I think you've got the wrong number. You know, look at what's going on here. It's like, where is God at work? What, what, what are you talking about? You know, it's interesting, actually, this man, Joash, Gideon's father, we're going to find out this, that he's a pagan priest. 
He was a worshiper of Baal. He's got an altar to Baal in his own house. And Gideon says, what are you talking about? If the Lord's with us, then where are these mighty works of the Lord? If God's chosen me, why, are all, why have all of these things happened? And you know, it's interesting. We love to ask that question too. We want to say, why, Lord? Why this? Why that? Why did this happen in my life? Why did you do this? Why are these things going on in the world? Why, Lord, why? Now, in the case of Gideon, we know this. As he asked the why, of course, the Lord had put the children of Israel into the hands of the Midianites because they had abandoned him. They had abandoned the Lord, and, and he was actually at work in their lives to show them the utter emptiness of the things they were pursuing and worshiping. The utter emptiness and the poverty of their idolatry. The empty promises of idolatry that though these gods promise this and promise that, if you worship them, you'll be left empty. God was at work leading them to cry out to Him in repentance to rescue them. So Gideon asked this why. He also asked this question, how? God, how can, how can you use me? We're going to see this more here in a minute. He's hiding in a wine press. You know, why, Lord? How? Why me? How could you use me? Why is this happening, Lord? How will this ever work out? And it's amazing. The angel of the Lord is not going to answer the why question. The angel of the Lord is not going to answer the how question. He's just going to say this, I have things for you to do and I want you to be obedient. You know, God has things for us to do, church, and he wants us to be obedient. And the time's coming to be counted. We're just going to have to take steps of obedience that are uncomfortable. The whys and the hows are not going to be sorted out, maybe. Why, Lord? How, Lord? How will this work out? The angel of the Lord is going to say, just do what I tell you. I've got things for you to do. You know, God's got things for us to do. People to witness to, people to pray for, people to serve, people to love, people to share with. And here's this man, Gideon. It's not about Gideon. It's not about his potential. It's not about his abilities. It's not about the wise in the house. It's about the presence of God and the call of God upon his life. And you know, I would just encourage you that if you're one of those prone, like every person, prone to asking why questions and how questions, prone to hiding in the wine press day after day, God would tell you the same thing that he told Gideon. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do. Let's, let's get away from the how and the why. Let's be doers of the word. Here's what I want you to do. Now check out verse 14. It says to him, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of the Midian. Do not I send you. Now look at that there. It says, you say, well, is this really the Lord, this angel of the Lord? Look what it says. The Lord turned to him. The Lord turned to him and said. So this is, 
This is Jesus. This is the Son of God present. Concerned about, you know what Jesus is concerned about? Jesus is concerned about the salvation of people. Jesus is concerned about bringing his salvation to people and bringing people to salvation. So it's amazing that this is Jesus saying this instruction to him, go in the might that you have. Do I not send you? He's being sent to save his people. Verse 15, and he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. This is just that classic theme from Scripture that's just like so awesome and encouraging. It's like, Lord, but I'm weak. God, I don't have the right family line. I don't like, I don't come from the right tribe. I don't have the right last name. I'm not, you know, the strongest amongst my brothers or amongst my family. I, you know, he's got all of these excuses. And it's amazing that God says, no, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. You're a man of valor. And this is amazing because look at when God says that about you, that's what you are. That's what you are. God saw what he was going to do with Gideon and so that, everyone's, so that everyone knew that it was going to be God's work, not Gideon's work, God chose a weak man. And God will choose weak men and women because he knows what he is going to do. And God sees this. Let me encourage you. God sees what he is going to do with you in the midst of your weakness. He sees the finished product. And, you know, we have this tendency to just limit God by our own past. Well, God, you don't know. You don't know the things that I did, you know. Look it. Your weakness is not a barrier to God. Human weakness is no barrier to the living God. It's actually necessary. I love this. I love this truth of the reality of the gospel that human weakness is necessary. There's not many mighty in the kingdom of God. There's not many noble in the kingdom of God because spiritual usefulness requires this, weakness. It just requires men and women who will be obedient to what Jesus says. And you know, what's Gideon being called to? It's like, to defeat Midian? They're pillaging the land. They're, they're taking everything. No human can, can, fill, can fulfill this mission. So Gideon's trust had to be in God alone. He had to know his own weakness. You know, God will do things to reveal to you your weakness, to remind you where your dependence is, where it needs to be. And here's... Here's Gideon. He says, Lord, who am I? And the Lord says to him, that's the wrong question. The question is not you asking, who am I? The question is knowing my presence. The, or, sorry, the, the, the truth is to know my presence. Who am I? No. Gideon, I am with you. That's all you need. Me with you. Check out verse 16. The Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you will strike the Midianites as one man. Now again, this is just like the key to serving the Lord. This is the key to ministry. The Lord says, it's not who you are. It's who I am. <laughs> it's who I am. 
I, I, I love this. I like, I get, you know, I'm like, I don't like when we have this tendency in the church to talk about who we are. You know, we sing that song, it's got a great chorus to it. You know, this is who you say I am. Can't think of it right now off the top of my head. I didn't put it in my notes. But um, I love it to a certain point, and then I say, no, no, no. Not about who I am. It's about who you are. Lord, it's about who you are. And the Lord would always want his people to know that. It's not, it's not who you are. It's who I am and what I'm doing in your life. See, God says this, I choose the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I choose the weak things of the world to show my strength because then I get the glory. I get the glory. And we read on in verse 17, it says this. Then he said to him, this is Gideon, and he said to him, if I found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. You know, I think that this is like just good wisdom in life. To say, Lord, I need you to confirm. I need you to speak. Boy, our church around, around here for weeks been saying, Lord, you got to direct. You got to confirm. You got you to speak. Lord, we're looking for you to give signs. We're looking for you to confirm your word. Let me, let me just give you an example on Two weeks ago on Sunday night prayer, we were here, the first order of kind of increased lockdowns that weren't affecting churches had started, and we were having a really good night of prayer, man. It was like awesome. And I felt like the Lord impressed upon my heart, hey, why don't you just do two weeks of prayer all the way straight through during this? And I thought to myself, Lord, I don't want to do two weeks. I, like, I do want to, but I don't want to, Lord. I got a family, and we got this going on on this night, and I got Bible study over here, and we got, we got Wednesday night, and we got a family birthday in the midst of that, and there's got to be some nights off, and this and that. It's like, Lord, I totally hear you, but I don't know my way around this. If you're really saying this, God, I need you to confirm. Confirm it. And if you confirm it, then we'll do it. And I was so encouraged because that night, prayer ended. That's my own conversation going on with the Lord. Didn't tell anybody prayer ended. Someone spoke up and said, you know, I just feel like we should go for two weeks. Someone else said, I was thinking the exact same thing. I said, okay, Lord, got it. Message received, confirmed. Let's go. And we've been meeting every night for two weeks. Tonight will be night 15, seeking the Lord in the place of prayer. It's good to ask God for a sign. Lord, if I'm hearing you correctly, give me confirmation. So Gideon says this to the Lord in verse 18, please do not part from here until I come to, please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, and he said, I will stay till you return. Now it's interesting. I want to just say this before we even read this. I want to remind you that Gideon's living amongst people who like don't have much. They've been robbed, they've been pillaged, their crops are stolen. We read that they're donkeys, they're sheep, everything's taken. They don't have much. Gideon doesn't have much. In terms of whatever he has, whatever it is that he has, it's like hidden away, it's tucked away. There's probably a secret stash of wheat for his family. Some animals maybe hidden away, but, uh, but they don't have much. Goods were scarce. And whatever he had was a real, true sacrifice that he was going to bring to the Lord. This was like 
costly. I want you to see that just before we even read this, that what Gideon is about to do is going to cost him. It's a sacrifice. You know, that's what a sacrifice is. It's, it costs you. It costs you. A woman came into the presence of Jesus. She brought an alabaster jar and she broke it, poured it out on his feet. It's her dowry. Wiped his feet with her hair. And Judas said this. He said, what waste. Jesus said, don't say that. This cost her. And her story will be told everywhere the gospel is preached. It's a sacrifice. It's costly. And Jesus said, you say it's costly, but I'll tell you what it is. It's worship. It's worship. And Gideon's about to do something very costly. He's going to build an altar to the living God. And he's going to give what he has. Let's, let's read on. Verse 19. So Gideon went into his house. And he prepared a young goat, unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he had put in a basket and the broth he had put in a pot. And he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them to him. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand, and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And then, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord and said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. This is a, just a great picture of what's going on. He doesn't even realize who he's dealing with as he brings this offering. But he comes to the table and he has a revelation of who is in front of him. There's fire. The offering is consumed. The angel of the Lord just vanishes from his sight. And Gideon all of a sudden realizes, I have seen the Lord. Now the Bible tells us in Exodus Chapter 33, verse 20, that no one can see God and live. That that's not possible. You cannot see God and live. So the question is this, if he came to a realization of who he's seen, who has he seen? Who has he seen if he saw God? He's seen Jesus. He's seen the second person of the Trinity and seen the angel of the Lord. He had seen God himself, but he had seen the Savior, the judge who was going to come, the one who would save his people from his sins, the one who would bring peace between God and his creation. And the Lord reassured him, you're not going to die. You know, it's, it's, it's true that if you will come to Jesus, you're not going to die in your sin. But if you don't come to Jesus, you'll never see God. Because no one can see him and live. And it says in verse 23, But the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is peace, Jehovah Shalom. 
He called it the Lord is peace, and to this day it stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Bezerites. You know, Gideon is kind of, yeah, he's a lovable character in Scripture. We can relate to him because, like, the man's lack is obvious. It's obvious to anybody who reads the story. Well, obvious to us, his lack of personal resources. And God knew the weak state of his faith, and so he accom- the Lord accommodated himself to strengthen this man, to encourage him. And, and as Gideon finds out he's not going to die for seeing the Lord, that he's seen the angel of the Lord, but the Lord says, peace to him, he builds an altar. He worships. And he called it the Lord is peace, Jehovah Shalom. Jesus is called, remember who Jesus is called? He's called the Prince of Peace. Jehovah Shalom. It means this, that the Lord is well-being. He's he's good for you. He'll bring you peace with God and the peace of God. Jehovah Shalom. And peace came by the word of God. Here's this man. He's afraid. He said, I'm going to die. And the Lord said to him, you're not going to die. Peace to you. Full of fear. But his peace comes through the word of God. And so after seeing the Lord, what we're going to start to discover about this man is this, is that he was changed. He was changed by seeing God. He, you know, wasn't particularly courageous or he's definitely unqualified, certainly uncertain, unsure. He had been called to something that was beyond the realm of human possibility, dealing with this enemy. But Gideon had a revelation from God. And he recognized that God was at the work in the midst of this. And so now it's time to get ready for battle with this enemy. But before the battle with Midian could come, the Lord's going to tell him there has to be a battle with the idol gods in your own household. Before the battle with Midian could happen, there had to be a a battle with Baal. The Lord's going to tell him, Gideon, there's a problem in your own house. There's a problem in the midst of your own family. Before you deal with Midian, Gideon, Midian, Gideon, you got to deal with your family. Now that you've built an altar to me, we need to deal with an altar that's in the backyard behind your house. It's got to come down, Gideon. You know, it's interesting, church. It's like we look at the world and kind of people hear the message of Jesus and they go, wow, I can just add Jesus to my mix of stuff, you know. I can like bow down at this altar and bow down at this altar and Jesus can become, you know, I call him Lord, but he can become one among many of the gods and the idols that I serve. I mean, the world really has this view. You just get to add Jesus to the mix, you know. But Jesus tells him here, this is, this is a message from the Lord. Though he's told peace, he says, you got to deal with what's going on in your family. It's me and nobody else, Gideon. It's not adding me to the mix. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That, there's an exclusive claim on my life and on is, on. On Israel, the Lord's telling Gideon, on you, there's an exclusive claim. And so that night, it says in verse 25, that night, the Lord said to him, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, 
and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with, wood, with the wood of the Asherah that you have cut down. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and they did as the Lord told them. But because he was afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Now here's Gideon. He's got to learn to follow the instructions of the Lord. He has to do what God tells him to do. Now the truth is this, he did it. <laughs> but we read this, and when did he do it? He did it under the cover of darkness. When nobody could see what was going on. Now, I think this, whenever I read the story of Gideon, I'm like, wow, it's really easy to condemn him for that. Yeah, you did it, Gideon, but you know, you did it under the cover of darkness. But hey, look it, I don't think that's fair. The man did it. He did it. He was obedient to what the Lord told him to do. He destroyed the altar of Baal. He, He tore down the Asherah. He chopped it up. He made the offerings to the Lord. He is becoming the man of God God has called him to be, a mighty man of valor. And it's amazing to become the man God had called him to be. It's an interesting picture here. He had to stand up to his earthly father. He had to stand up to his father. And Midian couldn't be defeated until Baal was smashed, till the altar was broke down, till the Asherah pole was cut up. And it's like, Gideon, if I'm going to use you, you have to take this step. And church, I just want to encourage you, you know, if God is directing you in an area to take a step of obedience to him, you have to take it. Counting the cost, you, you have to take it. Gideon's not going to be robbed here of what God has for him. The the miss out, the mistake would be this, to not take the step, to not be obedient. To not be obedient. And Gideon, though it's under the cover of darkness, he took the step. Now let's read what happens. Verse 28. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asher beside it cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, will you contend for Baal? Or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by mourning. If he is a God, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jeroboam. That is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Man, I love this, because when Joash saw the boldness of his son, something stirred in the heart of this father. Yeah, I mean... Joash, at some point in time, had been a worshiper of God, but he'd been sucked into the idolatry around him. He'd been sucked into the worship of Baal. He'd allowed his own house to have an altar. He had, in a sense, become the priest of Baal, and his little 
community. And at the action of his son, he's awoken. He's inspired again. He realizes the stupidity of serving a God that can't even defend itself. Let Baal contend for himself. If he's a God, let him do it. He'll figure it out. And so I love this story because here's the Lord. He's looking on this man, Gideon. He's a fearful young man, but he's a man who will act in obedience to the Lord. And in the process, as he acts in obedience to the Lord, God begins to change the hearts of people around him. In his own household, his own father, the men of his town. Now look at verse 33. It says this, Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan, and they encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But, But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And he sounded the trumpet. And the Abizarites were called out to follow him. This is, this, remember, this, the Abizarites, he's the son of Joash the Abizarite. This is his own clan they've turned now to follow him and to follow the Lord. Verse 34, but the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Abizarites were called out to follow him and he sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh and they too were called out to follow him, and he sent messengers to Asherah, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to, and they went up to meet them. Now I love this because it says this: that Gideon, that the spirit of the Lord clothed him, that the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Just, I know you're at home, in front of your computer. Hopefully, you know you got your pajamas on, some clothes on, just like your clothes are on you. The Spirit of God clothed this man, covered him, covered him. Throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we read about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God coming upon men and women. And when He comes upon them, He empowers them to serve the purposes of God. He empowers them for service. See, as followers of Jesus, this is what we believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about, that God baptizes us, He clothes us in the Holy Spirit so that we would walk in the fullness and the power of the Spirit, and in the power of the Spirit, there is an enabling and a boldness that comes from the Lord to serve Him and to serve His purposes. It's an empowering for service. And so here's Gideon, he's not only called, but with the calling comes empowerment to do the task. It's in the power of the Spirit. And what does he do? He sounds a trumpet. He sounded a trumpet. The trumpet hadn't probably been sounded, I mean, seven years they've been oppressed by Midian. And who knows how long, we're not even told how long it is since the previous judge. The trumpet, the war trumpet had not been sounded to call together the people of God in many years in the land of Israel. And in the power of the Spirit, Gideon sounds the trumpet and men throughout Israel respond and they come around this man Gideon. Not because of Gideon, but because of the Holy Spirit. Not because of Gideon, but because of the work of God. Not a program of Gideon, but because God's spirit is at work in the hearts of God's people. It's not like 
indoctrination. It's not information. It's like the inspiration of God's Spirit to work in the hearts of God's people. And it wouldn't have happened without the moving of the Holy Spirit. It, was, it wasn't Gideon. It was the move of God. God was moving in the power of the Spirit, and He was going to work to set His people free. Church, the trumpets get ready to blow. We have to tear down the altars in our own house. We have to smash the idols of our lives. We cannot forget, church, that we have been led out of slavery to sin. We once were slave to sins. Just like the children of Israel enslaved in, in Egypt. God delivered them and God has delivered us by His Son, Jesus. He set us free from the power of sin and death. He's given us the gift of eternal life. And there is oppression. There is enemies. But God's Spirit's on the move. God is at work. And I'm encouraged because I think the trumpet is getting ready to sound. Church, we need to be ready. Mighty men of valor, mighty women of valor, we need to be ready. I think the encouragement of this text to me is this, is that God sees the finished work. You know, when God's called you, you can't be snatched from his hand. He who begun a good work in you will finish it. And so I want to encourage you, worship. In these days, in these days, worship's going to get costly. But that's how it's supposed to be. Worship needs to cost us, church. Not because we're trying to earn something. Gideon wasn't trying to earn anything from the Lord. It was an act of worship because that's what the Lord deserved. And God set his hand upon this man. Did a work in his family. Don't you want to see God work in your family? Man, I want to see my kids on fire for Jesus. I want to see my siblings, my nieces, my nephews, my parents. I want to see us on fire for Jesus, our church on fire for Jesus. But we've got to smash the altars. We've got to give him everything that he deserves. The Spirit of God clothed this man. May the Spirit of God clothe us this morning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you just change us? Would you transform us? Lord, we look to you. We have lots of why questions, how questions. We see a spirit of oppression at work in the world. It's a marauder, a raider. Its threat hangs over us. We don't know when it's coming or if it'll ever come. In a sense, God, it seems like we're a little bit holed up in the mountains, in dens and caves, hiding out. And Lord, we just ask you to work in your church in our hearts, in our lives. Lord, we declare our need from you. Lord, we sense our weakness, but we're thankful that you are strong. We ask, God, that you would clothe us in your spirit. We ask, Lord, that you would make us worshipers. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to count the cost. We ask, Lord, that you'd be at work in our families and our households.
Lord, would you reveal the idols? Would you reveal the false gods? Lord, I thank you that you're the Lord and there is no other. God, we ask that you would not let anything compete for your name or glory in our lives. Lord, we ask that you would clothe us in your spirit, that you would baptize us, that you would fill us, that we would follow you in the power of the spirit to live for you. God, we thank you that you're at work. We thank you that you sent Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you sent Jesus to save us when we were still in our sin. Jesus, thank you for bringing us peace. Thank you for the peace of God. Thank you for the peace of God. Thank you that you see the finished work. Thank you you're going to finish your work. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, the worship team is going to come. We're going to uh, close on a song this morning. And uh, so I invite you. We'll give them a second to get in place here. and You stand up at home, and let's worship the Lord, all right?